right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for our next episode here of Boxed Wine and Richcraft. Uh, you have me, Melissa, and probably one of our most often joining uh, presenters here, and probably should just list him as a second co-host on and off, <laughs> Zach Fiesel. <laughs> probably ought to make you a uh, producer or something, too, right? Because you come up with a topic and everything yeah. else. <laughs> <laughs> I get to hit record and do the editing. You do, you do all the back work for these these episodes. Screenwriter or scriptwriter, rather. Right. <laughs> Though at some point we'll have to make, um, I think, an Instagram page and put up pictures of you and I recording and how sometimes the screen would freeze and just the faces that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those are rather hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Very incriminating. So <laughs> blackmail evidence right there i think you called it yes. hate crime. <laughs> i hate crimes <laughs> so what topic do you have ready for us today so today we're going to discuss a little bit of protocol some etiquette when you go to see a worker a healer a reader some of the things you can expect um some things that I feel people need to be reminded of and give a reality check. Um, but yeah, we'll be talking a little bit about how you should act and what you should expect when seeing a healer, when seeing a reader, when commissioning work with a root worker, a magician, a practitioner of any sort. Though to start, how would you find would be the best way for somebody to um, find one of these type of practitioners to work with? There's so much online. There's so much just being bombarded now in all of the social media. What would be a good way to make sure you're finding a genuine, knowledgeable, you know, practitioner to get in touch with and see about hiring? So that's actually one of my first points that I wanted to talk about. Um, so what to look for in a good reader. First, start with your local area. Start with people who you can easily get references from. This can be through social media. This can be through a physical shop as Melissa's shop. This can be word of mouth. Uh, maybe one of your friends saw someone and just through them, you can ask what it was like. You can ask their experience, but start local. With that, you get a less biased opinion. If you're going to go the route of, let's say, an online psychic or an online worker or someone who works by themselves and doesn't have an affiliation and they work maybe just by word of mouth or even social media, make sure that they can prove any credentials that they have. Um, make sure that you can look up reviews, make sure that they are, that their information is accessible. A good reader will have proof of their credentials or can give you references 
a good reader will generally have good reviews if it's on social media, um, if it's a Yelp review. Good readers will also not shy away from giving you your money back if you didn't get what you were looking for. Some readers fit better with certain clients than others. Some red flags would be someone who obviously doesn't have a good rapport with clients, someone who maybe you hear things through the grapevine with. Obviously, be careful with that gossip, especially in the new age and spiritual community can get really bad. It can get, get it can get very backbiting. Red flags in general would be poor rapport with clients, bad reviews, um, promising, you know, riches and fame, promising, you know, outlandish things, um, saying that they're, you know, masters of these ancient you know, traditions, and then they have like, you know, six of them, you know, use some common sense here. Are they, how, how can someone be a master in six different traditions? You know, you can be a jack of all trades and a master of none, but rarely will you ever see someone that you can hold a candle to who thoroughly knows, you know, these multiple traditions. Um, that being said, it's not too unlikely that you'll find someone who is a practitioner, especially in contemporary times, who holds conflicting practices. That is becoming more and more popular. Um, there is some, some credence to that. Um, I'll use myself as an example. I practice Tibetan Buddhism. I'm not supposed to harm others. But I also practice Ruheria and Conjure, where sometimes harming others is necessary. So you'll have practitioners who practice, we'll put this in new agey terms, left hand and right hand paths. That is a valid thing. Saying you're a Reiki master, a Vajra master, a Tarotist, a Oh, I can't think of what they're called. The Viking oracles, Bulvas. Um, saying, you know, if you're like just throwing all these things on, chances are that person may have taken a class or a course. They're not likely a master, you know, and that is something you will see a lot of are people, you know, hoarding all of these weekend certifications and practicing none of them or not practicing at least one, two master. That's what I found with some of, you know, the readers through the store. They may know how to do different types of divination, but they always have one that's always their comfort, the one that always works mm -hmm. well. You know, the the side divination pieces, if you will, tend to be more of like a clarification or something to maybe expand yes. on the reading. But, you know, they're not claiming to be masters of every single thing that they carry in that bag. Yes. And that is something I want you to be mindful of is it's one thing if a practitioner practices multiple things. It's another if they claim mastery in each of those things. 
Now, another thing to be careful of is scams, especially if you're seeking out your healer, your worker, uh, your breeder through social media. People will scam you. People will try to get exaggerated amounts of money from you. People will promise you things. People will come into your DMs and tell you that you have a curse lingering on your family and it's going to cost $6,000 to take it off. People are going to come into your DMs and say, um, your ancestors are talking to me, but I can't deliver your message unless you pay me this amount of money. No. A true worker won't do that. They don't take time out of their day to go hunt people down, um, but a scammer would. Mm-hmm. Now, you see, I'm going to use this as an example. Of the mediums that I know, those who have good practice, they never do the Long Island medium thing where they just walk up to random people and tell them about their past loves and past ones. That is an invasion of privacy. So there's an ethical problem there. There's a lack of consent. Again, an ethical problem. You can tell that if they're constantly open to channel that much, that they themselves have poor boundaries with themselves. A medium can be sensitive when they need to be, and a well-trained one can disrupt all of that the moment they just don't want to deal with it anymore. So if they're constantly opening open to channeling, they probably weren't they probably didn't have good training and i'd be cautious to even see them for a scheduled reading where there were boundaries in place that's actually a pet peeve of mine um especially through the store where i will have clients and customers come in that will say i was in the grocery store i was at this festival i was at you know insert random public place and this person came up and they said oh you know, you have really good energy, but you need to carry, you know, insert random charm stone something. And so, you know, now this, this client customer is worried because now they feel this need, you know, and Mm -hmm. then they're coming like, what is that? Why do I need that? And I'm like, you know what, you were fine before you got that unsolicited (laughs) piece of advice. You will be fine without it. Quit letting it ruin your day. Yeah. This is why you shouldn't just go up and blab your mouth you know, without the permission, if that client did not ask you, shush your face. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I actually had somebody in the store like lean over and go, would you mind asking that, that young man over there if they turned down a scholarship? And I'm like, why? They're like, well, cause I'm getting a message. And I said, no, like he is over there perusing the baked goods. I am not going to go. <laughs> no. Like, yeah. Obviously, he doesn't Um, care, or he would ask for a reading about it. No. Right. (laughs) Um, From my personal experience, I only actively receive messages when that person is directly across from me. Um, The minute I get up from the table, and the the minute the person opposite me leaves the room as well, nothing. Because that is the boundary I've set. If I'm just chilling out in your shop, you could have all the customers there walk right past me and it's just no thoughts, head empty. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, that's good practice. Make sure your 
reader is someone who you can see has good practice. The other thing is don't be scared to vet your worker. Don't be scared to ask for references if they don't immediately provide them. Don't be scared to ask for where their training comes from. Um, with that said, understand that some traditions are undergoing changes right now concerning how Americanized and how capitalized and monopolized they've become. And so if you run into a healer or worker who has only ever learned from their family certain things, that's valid. If you run into a worker who, let's say for instance, is Japanese and practices Reiki, that has been handed down in her family or his family and can't present you with a certification, understand that that certification is an Americanized thing. And so this person is valid in their, pra in their practice, even if they can't on paper prove it. Again, because a lot of these traditions are familial. Same with Conjure, you know, yes, there are bigger names in Conjure. Yes, those names with those quote unquote certificates carry some weight, but Conjure is also very familial and it was passed down in families. If their reference is their great grandmother, that's still valid. In cases like that, whether they're going to be a good fit for you, that's when you ask for references. I would not ask your um, worker to be for names of their past clients to use as references. Um, you know, if they can provide you with statements or show you reviews on a social media page that you can confirm is theirs, do that. Mm -hmm. um, most of the time when it's a situation like that, it's because you knew someone who went to them. You have a mutual friend or a mutual person who you can ask, use that, use those tools, use those resources available to you. And remember, a lot of this was done via word of mouth up until the advent of social media. Well, and I know at one point you, you brought up about starting local and shops. Um, I think it's a good thing and I could be biased because this is what I do, but I require everybody working through the store to do an interview read or healing session just to make sure they know their stuff. And it also lets me know, like, if they are good and we're going to work with them, like, how exactly do they operate? So it makes it easier to not only promote them later, but it also guarantees, like, you know, they they know it, they're thorough. Um, and we have turned people away. I've had readers sit there to interview Tarot Read, and after they lay out the cards, they pull out their little book. And I'm like, what do you do? Uh -huh. Well, I just like to show that I'm right. And I'm like, don't care. Do the reading without yeah. your book your book away and they can't do it and i'm like nope that's not going to work here so ask your your local shop do they interview read or interview session 
their clients or their practitioners, I should say, for their clients. Um, you know, and go like we do the psychic fair. Ask the other people standing in line who they're waiting to see. Who's their popular person? Who's, you know, there, there's your word of mouth right there from complete strangers. Yeah. Um, so with that, I have two comments. The first is a lot of readers, yes, we can read for ourselves, but we like the objectiveness of having someone else read for us. And so a lot of readers will be a good resource for who else is a good reader because they already know what it's like from an insider's perspective. So if they go see another reader who's in that same vicinity and have good things to say, that's a good indication that they're a good reader. The second thing I want to say about that is, so certain, if we're strictly talking about divination here, certain forms of divination do require additional information. Um, the one that comes to mind is the I Ching. So unless you are a Taoist practitioner and someone fully engulfed in Taoism, it's probably better that if someone is reading the I Ching for you, that they have the actual book of changes next to them. Because the, the lines of the hexagrams can get very complex. Um, yes, there's only like 63 variations and yes, you could memorize them, but most of the book of changes is written in poetry. And it's always good to have that reference. Same with astrology. There are certain charts you need in astrology to create another chart. Um, oh, there was one more that's really common. But in any case, you know, just because they have that extra bit of information doesn't necessarily mean that they're a bad reader. If it's something like tarot, if it's something like runes, they should not be pulling out a booklet. They, those are things that you kind of dedicate to memory. And if you work with them long enough, you don't need the book or the meaning. It becomes intuitive. It's kind of like training wheels for your own psychic mind. Mm -hmm. Which kind of leads me to another thing understand the kind of reading that you want and do a little research on that divination method. If you want specifically a tarot reading, do a little research on tarot itself and what it entails. Same with the I Ching, same with runes, you know, etc. Educate yourself a little bit. You obviously don't need to go learn all 78 cards of the tarot, but understand what they look like what a general reading in tarot would would entail. Um, also, know what questions you want to ask. A lot of people will go into a reading and they sit down and, you know, and some readers will actually just have them sit and have you know normal conversation while they're shuffling and then start doling out cards and read a story to them and it's accurate and that's fine and dandy a lot of readers don't do that make sure you know what you want to ask a lot of people will go into readings just for the experience 
or they won't have a question. And so they pull something out of thin air. And then when they get this superficial answer for this superficial question, they're underwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. It's like the most common questions, love, money, you know, career type things. Those are always the top three. And so it, it's kind of like, let's get creative. Let's, let's get to the bottom root of why you want to know about love, money, career, you know, mm-hmm. if you really want a more in-depth reading, be specific. Just don't say what's going on with my job. Well, are you up for a promotion? Are you, is the company, do you think the company's getting ready to sell? Do you, you know, like get specific if you want a thorough reading. Mm-hmm. Um, just the iceberg. Another common one that like everyone gets at least once a year. When am I going to be happy? That's not the question you need to ask. You know, happiness is a choice. Um, one of my friends says that often, but those aren't original words. He said, you know, happiness is a choice. The question you should be asking is, or should be focused on what is actively making you not happy and go from there. Um, when am I going to be happy? Okay. What you really mean to ask is why do I hate my job so much? How can I go about changing my working position? How can I go about switching careers? What guidance or advice should I have on changing a job position? Those are the questions that are underlying. Why am I not happy? Or when will I be happy? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, take a little bit of accountability and responsibility with it. A reader can only give you, they can only give you so much that you're also willing to give. You know, there's a reciprocity there. Mm -hmm. If you didn't do enough of the thinking, we can't give you context for the answer. So another thing I want to reiterate is if you go to a reader and they are underwhelming and you've actually followed, you know, you understand the kind of reading that they do, you understand the question you need to ask, and it just seems like it fell short. Some readers aren't meant for everyone. Um, I've had my fair share of clients who just don't get it or clients that want to hear something. And I'm not the kind of person that just will give you what you want to hear. It doesn't help you. If I just tell you what you want to hear, that does not help you. There's no point in me reading for you. You know, so keep that in mind. If you don't mesh well with a reader or you don't mesh well with a healer, it's, probably more common that you don't mesh well with a reader than a healer. And I'll get into that in a moment, but it might not be, (laughs) it might not be them. It might be you. (laughs) Well, I mean, Um, not everybody got along with everybody else in high school, even though somebody could have been really nice and everybody loved them just for whatever reason, you didn't get along with them. That didn't make them a bad person. Does it make you a bad person? You just didn't you know, flow well. 
same thing with a reader. Um, I mean, I've had some really popular readers that a lot of people love. And then, you know, a client will come out and just be like, I don't get it. Like, like you're the oddball. Doesn't make you the bad person. Doesn't make you unworthy. Doesn't make you, you know, anything negative. You guys just don't mesh. And that's just all there is to it. So, um, but I do feel like a good reader, if you're not jiving with the client, if, you know, the good reader should be able to see that this reading is going nowhere and be able to say, you know, I don't think I'm the reader for you. Here's your money back. Or, you know, here's your ticket back. Like if you're at a psychic fair and be willing to let that client go where they need to go and not insist like I'm right. You're not listening. You're not taking it. Like that's not good reading etiquette. If the reader's insisting that they're completely right now, mind you, some people, you know, forget, especially when it comes to mediumship readings, know you're dead people, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, that usually entails the client coming back. I've even had them call the storm. Like, would you tell the reader so-and-so that when they were talking about Jimmy, that was my uncle. And we went fishing every Friday. I forgot, <laughs> you know, like, okay, we'll pass it on, you know, know mm-hmm. you're dead people. Um, <laughs> but also like watch out for mediums who swear they can always ensure communication with whoever you want. Yeah. Mediumship is not telephone. There's no guarantee. And the more you go to readers, especially mediums in this case, um, you'll understand that certain people will kind of always come through. For me, yes, I've had some past relatives who come through at least once, but there's always at least one or two who consistently will show up when I go to another reader. And that tells me that that reader knows what they're doing. So moving on, healers. Very rarely will you go into a session where you don't get something from a healer, Um, whether it's Reiki, crystals, you know, whatever. That's a little different. You know, those are modalities meant to help increase uh, well-being, meant to you know, stimulate the body's natural healing. And most of those modalities are going to help in some way, if nothing else, at least relaxation. With readers, it's intellectual. You know, you're having a conversation, you're, you know, being reminded of things, you're having, you know, what is currently going on in your life spread out in front of you. And You know, you're putting pieces together on why it happened, what's happening now, what's going to happen later from it. You're very involved intellectually. With healers, it's not generally the case. In most modalities of healing, unless we're talking like herbalism or something, that's a whole other thing. We're speaking energetic healing here. Um, You're going to benefit in some way. Again, even if it's just relaxation or you know allowing yourself to have time out for yourself i have only really had one session with one practitioner that didn't go so great that i didn't get much from and that's because i already had the preconceived notions of what she did and what it is she does and Her modalities are not something that I have really ever jived with, you know, 
I am a practitioner of old traditional things. This practitioner did very light workery things, which I've never been drawn to. <laughs> so I wasn't very receptive to it. For someone who is into those kinds of things, it probably would have worked wonders for them. But mm -hmm. because it wasn't jumping into a cold lake or being with an egg, you know, it didn't do much for me. So again, this kind of goes back to investigate a little in what you should be expecting from these kinds of healers in this case. Um, research tarot if you're going to go to a tarotist. Research Reiki if you're going to go to someone who practices Reiki. You know, research shamanism, you know, in the specific tradition if you're going to go see a shaman. And understand that even those things can be kind of difficult because a lot of these traditions are oral. Um, they're handed down through being shown. They're not necessarily always written down. You know, there aren't extensive history books or extensive anthropological records um, dealing with these kinds of things. Uh, let's take, for instance, curanderismo. You can find a lot of information on curanderismo because of the codex um, or the codices that comes from and because of uh, Spanish and European culture that fed its way into it. Now you take another form of shamanism. Um, I can't think of one off the top of my head at the moment, but you know, they may not have everything written down so thoroughly. Mm -hmm. Well, even my tradition, it's all oral. And the fun thing that a lot of it is in, you know, from the Quechua people, like they have no consistent written language, even on how to spell their own wording. Mm -hmm. So it, it's all you know, oral and storytelling and handing it down, handing it down. So the fact that my teacher um, was willing at one point to even make handouts <laughs> when <laughs> that was after a constant bugging, like, what does this word mean? What is this? What is that? And ultimately he's like, well, we speak English. So you, you could just do this whole thing in English because the, the native land around you is used to that language. Yeah. But um, I'm a big fan of the Quechua language because it's a fun fun language to listen to and speak. Um, but that that's a very heavily oral handed down, you know, tradition. And another thing to keep in mind is, especially with oral traditions, there's so much variation. So again, if we take Buranderismo as an example. Buranderismo is just indigenous folk healing of Mexico. That can look one way in Baja, and look a completely different way in Jalisco. Um, and then it gets even more varied, especially with Buranderismo, when you get into America. We don't have the same plants here as we have in Mexico. We don't have access to um, certain kinds of things that are easily accessible in Mexico. You're going to have these variations. So just because you do research on what something should look like doesn't necessarily mean it's going to look exactly like what you researched. Mm -hmm. But there are generally going to be some overarching principles there. In all forms of curanderismo that I'm familiar with, the sun plays a big factor in healing. Air plays a big factor in illness. Cleansing is kind of like the very first thing you do before you do anything else in curanderismo. 
before you fast, you do a cleansing. Before you take certain herbal remedies, you fast. You know, you do certain kinds of cleansing. There's going to be a string of commonalities, but leave room for variation. You know, though, I think ultimately a good healer will take the time to explain to you how they work, what they do, how their mm-hmm. training is, you know. If they won't explain it to you, I, I would say go find a different person. Yes. They should at least be able to give you some kind of overview. They're not going to give you all their secrets, obviously. Um, no, but they should say, I'm training this and it works with this. And, you know, exactly. um, here's the type of tools that, you know, can be used, may not be used on every single client, especially in a lot of the folk and, you know, shamanic oh, work. Yeah. You know, but if they're not even willing to say this is where the tradition comes from or this is how it can happen, you know, I I would say pick a different practitioner healer who will take the time to make you feel comfortable and understand what it is that you're getting ready to experience and hopefully take in as you're healing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's say you encounter a healer or a reader who you're just not jiving with again that person if they're a good reader if they're a good healer will probably already sense that and kind of stop the session and tell you you know this doesn't seem to be flowing very well or this just seems very stuck um they might say you know let's try this instead and you know alter their their modality or alter you know how they're reading that's an indication of a good reader if it's still not going anywhere and they just straight up offer you money back you know again that's an indication of a good reader a bad reader will do anything but that a bad reader will say well you know maybe it's your fault you know they'll gaslight you maybe you are just too skeptical you know they'll kind of make it seem like it was your fault that's mm-hmm. that's a big red flag. Um, a bad reader will come up with excuses. A bad reader will, you know, talk ill of other readers. You know, you can generally sense when a reader is not one of integrity, and that's another thing on the client's part that I briefly want to talk about is understand what discernment is and get very familiar with using discernment and using that discernment to rate the integrity of the person you're seeing. Don't just take for, you know, as gospel, anything that someone tells you, you know, kind of be your own advocate here, protect yourself, educate yourself, Again, if you're going to go see a tarotist, understand what tarot entails, you know, educate yourself about what you're going into. Don't allow yourself to be a victim of a scammer or a bad reader. Um, And especially in very intimate settings, that is prime real estate for predatory behavior, Uh, whether financially, emotionally, sexually, you know. 
understand what certain things should look like and use some common sense, use some discernment to rate that integrity of that person that you're seeing. Don't go into anything blind. Okay. So let's move on a little further. Understand that readers, healers, workers are not God. They cannot tell you what is in store for you in 20 years. Everything can change from that moment. I tell almost everyone that I read for, I tell what I say to you now can change the moment you sit up from that chair. Things will change. The only thing a reader can really tell you is if you stay on this current path of events, what the likely outcome will be. Anything that changes will affect that. If you go to see a worker for, you know, spell work or um, anything related to magic, again, understand that they're not God. They're not miracle workers. You know, if you need a miracle, go to St. Jude. If you're desperate, go to Santa Muerte, you know? We're, we're not able to snap our fingers or light a candle and make what you want come to be. We can aid you as best we can. We can do the things that we know have worked in the past for you. But we cannot guarantee really anything. And I think that sentence itself might be a little humbling to some workers. Um, you know, some of us do get kind of egotistical and we do think, you know, all my spells before have worked. There's no way this could fail. That might be your learning. That might be your lesson is it does fail with that client. Um, mm -hmm. Thank God I've never had that. <laughs> Anyone I've ever done work for, I've flat out told them like, this, this is what I can do for you. And we can just hope for the best. <laughs> Well, I mean, making those type of statements that you're just challenging the lesson to come at you then. Yes. <laughs> Leave well enough alone and don't tempt fate. Right. Don't make the universe say, hold my beer and show you. Yes. <laughs> um, another thing is. Okay. A lot of people will see us at very pivotal points in their life, at very um, concerning points in their life, at very desperate points in their life. We are not medical professionals. That's not to say there's not some nurse out there who does tarot on the side. Our specialty lies in the spiritual. In certain traditions, it does encapsulate the mental, the emotional, the spiritual, and the physical. Um, again, one example of that would be curanderismo. It's folk healing. Most of the practitioners you're going to see nowadays, as the majority, are primarily working on the spiritual. 
sadly, social media has allowed people to conflate mental and emotional health with spirituality. A spiritual bath can help you relax, which influences your mental and emotional state. It is not prescription for your chronic depression. Mm-hmm. We are not trained medical professionals. Don't go looking for a spiritual solution when you should be going to see your doctor. We don't have miracle cures. And if any practitioner says they can miraculously cure things, I would be incredibly skeptical of that. I actually had a uh, practitioner that I kind of let go from the store because of hearing these claims that he can cure cancer. And I'm like, no, no, we don't do that here. We don't, right. you know, cause the client damage. Like, no. And um, you need to find another place to be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, so in that situation, understand that, you know, we can't cure cancer. We can do novenas for cancer, you know, in my tradition. Um, you can see a pranic healer who can energetically support you, you know, during chemo treatment or during you know, radiation. You, know, you can use these things that are available to you as support. And, you know, maybe to, we'll say, quote unquote, boost, you know, the efficacy. Um, obviously, that statement is not evaluated by the FDA and we are not here to cure, treat or diagnose any disease. But, you know, these are supportive options for you they are not words they are not treatments again be very careful of people who promise these empty but very grand promises um you're dead insert relative here is trying to get a hold of you but i can only pass this message on if you pay me 250 dollars. i can take a family curse off of you for six thousand you know mm-hmm. there's money being blocked from getting to you but i need to light this candle for you if you pay me you know eighty dollars you know no don't fall for that please again we are guides we are not god there is no absolute we can tell you the potentiality of something, um, but none of it is definite. And I think a lot of people have a misconception, and I think this is partially Hollywood's uh, fault, that we tell the future. I do not tell futures. I've never met a reader who is true and sincere in their practice who tells futures. They tell you, this is what happened in the past, this is what's going on now and why it's going on. And this is the likely outcome if it continues. There is no definite future. We cannot tell you what is going to happen. We can tell you what can or may happen. Now, how is that different than cold reading? Uh, okay, do you mean cold reading in the sense of mediumship or psychic? Um, in this instance, the psychic. Okay. Like, I don't want people just to assume, well, then no readers are good if they're not being able to tell them any guidance coming up. So, like. Right. Um, usually in cold reading, 
we're assuming consent has been given to be cold read. Um, you're going to be told what the likelihood of whatever it is you're doing. It, it, it follows, in my opinion, it follows the same format. So instead of putting down tarot cards, instead of casting runes to see what had happened, what is happening, it just immediately jumps to this is what is going to happen based on the little amount of information I'm receiving, you know, whether it's from source or your guides or, you know, however it is you work psychically. You don't necessarily need all of that background information if you're cold reading most of the time. If it's an urgent message and there's consent given, it will just pop into your head or uh, you'll hear it or see it again. It, you'll receive that information based on the technique that you use psychically. Um, if someone were to sit down in front of me and I read tarot, I also work intuitively. If someone were to sit down in front of me and grandma's just immediately pops in over here talking about money, 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 money. You know, that's all the information I have. I'm going to say, okay, there's something with money. What's going on there? Um, you know, they provide a little bit of context. You know, it could be job, it could be bank, it could be a divorce, you know, whatever. I would then need clarification, but I have the information given to me that it involves money. Ironing out the details, you know, kind of is going to have to come later. The information and the message will show up. The details, yeah, again, that's something that usually would have to come later. I typically don't cold read for people. Um, I've been cold read, uh, and it's always accurate. The way I work is you sit in front of me, I ask you what you want to look into. Um, usually I already have information coming in, you know, the big, you know, themes that are going on in your life. And the cards just are like details and clarification. From there, I kind of, you know, ask for enough information to put in context. I'm not sitting here asking you your birth date and stuff like that. That's another thing. If a psychic asks you a lot of questions, that's called fishing. Mm -hmm. That's not a psychic reading. That's poor psychoanalysis is what that is. Um, that being said, some readers, like myself, do ask for certain kinds of information just so we know what the context is that we should be delivering this in. Well, it should be minimal questions. And I know that a lot of my readers, like if the client starts giving too much information, they will say, shush, you know, like you're yes. giving me too much, like stop. So, um, you know, kind of look for that. If they're asking you for every detail around your question, then they're fishing and they're just going to hand you back everything you just said, rephrase, mm -hmm. you know, and go, ta-da, here's your reading. Um, so for instance, let's say it is money and then I get a card that indicates theft. I'll probably say something along the lines of, okay, there's, there's a money loss, you know, and if I haven't drawn anything else, I'll probably ask, I don't know if this is legal or if this is, you know, a family member maybe stole it. And then, you know, later I'll get further information as I go through reading. Things like that are okay. You know, there's money involved, there's theft. I'm not sure who's thieving or what the situation is. And then as we go along, you know, I can give details and then put that into the context. That's best going to help you. 
I kind of make like a spoken essay, I guess. I have all the details. I need you to give me the the uh, the thesis. So let's just recap. Your readers should have good reviews. They should never come to you. You should always go to them. Um, they should be willing to admit when they're wrong and you know recompensate you or compensate you, give you your money back. Um, they're humble. They're never going to give you empty promises or you know these grandiose things. Uh, and if they don't have good reviews, they should at least be able to explain how they came about their knowledge. You know, like if it's a familial tradition or something of that effect. Healers, again, they should have good reviews. You know, their fellow practitioners should have good things to say about them. Um, they should be able to give you their credentials. They should be able to tell you how long they've been doing this. They shouldn't <laughs> reach out to you. Um, you know, and all of this also goes for workers as well. Practitioners of magic, practitioners of, um, you know, whatever it is, whatever system it is they practice. Red flags to look out for. They're egotistical, they gaslight. You know, you don't hear great things about them. Uh, they kind of have like a, a poor history within the community. They charge exorbitant amounts of money. They make these giant promises. And then you have scammers, again. A little common sense goes a long way here. You know, if they're promising you things, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. Or if it's so horrible that it couldn't be true, chances are it's not true. <laughs> especially if they're the only ones that can fix it, but for hundreds or thousands of dollars, especially if it's generational yes. and it's hundreds of thousands of dollars per person or it yeah. won't work. The only way, in my opinion, if you have a generational curse, the only way you're going to fix a generational curse is if you yourself do something to put a stop to that cycle, you know, mm -hmm. and those generational curses tend to not be spiritual problems. They tend to be psychological and emotional problems. Again, which you should be seeing a doctor for, not us. Um, we're not God. We're not miracle workers. And as far as etiquette, just go in understanding that you're seeing another human. The person doing the reading has a skill. You yourself might have some kind of skill. You're seeing another human. You know, be respectful. Don't, don't be a dick. Don't, don't act like you know more than this person. You know, don't go in with this, especially if you, if you're, you yourself are not a worker or reader or healer, don't go in with this pompous attitude. Or if you are a skeptic, you can go in as a skeptic with an open mind. You don't have to go in just immediately belittling everything. You know, if that's, if you're, if, why are you paying money to this person if you're doing that? Um, that being said, my masochistic self would definitely take $100 for 30 minutes of just you ridiculing me because, hey, at least that's $100 richer that I am. <laughs> but generally speaking, don't go in 
think that's wrong. All right. Do you have anything to add? No, I mean, I, I think we covered all of the the good things that I always, you know, talk about or say when people are asking questions in the, the store. Um, other than maybe the last bit of advice kind of hearkening back to like the clients, like if somebody comes up and starts delivering a message, you have the right to say, you know, no and don't, I, I don't want to hear it. Like mm-hmm. you're not obligated to hear it if somebody just randomly walks up to you. Yeah. You know, um, cause you never know what's going to come out of their mouth until it's already said. Yeah. So, you know, respect that boundary of yours and, you know, just now I, I really don't want to hear what you think my grandma says, or I don't want to hear what you think my energy is today. Cause you know, shush, don't care. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Again, you know, protect yourself, understand, you know, your own boundaries, make those clear to certain people when you have to. Mm-hmm. And and arm arm yourself with knowledge, enough knowledge that you won't get taken advantage of. You know, know the modality that you're going into if you're receiving healing. Know the the reading method of the person you're going into. You're going into see. The more knowledge you have of something, the better it's going to be for you. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you for your insight. It's one thing for me to kind of talk about this as a shopkeeper with all of the practitioners that work through the business, but it's nice to hear from an actual practitioner, you know, the other side, you know, of how and what to look for and and things to to keep an eye on, Um, you know, just to make sure I'm not, you know, having only one side of this, but, and it's nice to know that you kind of came up with a lot of the same things that I say. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, but your do's and don'ts of picking people and, and making sure you, you follow through with your research and making sure the reader healer is able to explain who and what they do and what they are. They can do it in a confident and thorough way to where you understand before you go into that room with them. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for presenting. What might our, some of our upcoming topics be? Sneak peeks for um, those listening with us. So the next one that I'll be talking about is going to concern October and November and all of the holidays surrounding spirits, the dead, ancestors, et cetera, uh, that go on. Um, let's talk a little bit about Halloween, talk a little bit about Day of the Dead. I'm not going to go too in depth in those two because that would require extensive podcasts to cover the history alone. Um, but how you can use Halloween to your benefit, how you can use Day of the Dead to your benefit, um, how you can use All Saints Day and All Souls Day to your benefit, how you can communicate with spirits. Here's the thing. Um, you can talk to spirits all the time, whenever you want, but most people are going to pay attention to what I have to say during this time versus in March. Um, <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit about Ouija boards and my opinions on them, uh, as well as just general communication with the dead, the ancestors, and saints, 
spirits of the land. This sounds like it might be longer than an hour. We might have to break that up into two. Oh, no. We're going to hopefully break this down into just one hour because I don't want to talk too much about this. (laughs) Talk fast. Talk fast, Zach. Yes. Um, you know that this is funny how you you talk about how how most people are only going to pay attention to that come October. And you know, I just launched another podcast that went live uh, with Marianne about ghosts and when ghosts speak. And one of the the top questions that we always hear is, you know, or that we address is, you know, ghosts only come out and move around at night and only in October. So <laughs> it's like, no, they're there all the time. Spirits are there yeah. all the time. Not just sometimes even when you don't want them to be. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for joining us, everybody. And uh, please make sure to hit subscribe. Tell your friends about us. Uh, We have a lot more fun and interesting topics coming up, not only with Zach, but with Alexa. So um, feel free to join us and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.